it is just a blessing as always to be able to gather together to worship with you. Um, this is something that is uniquely special that we get to do as God's people to, to come into a room to, to set our hearts and our minds on God. And that's actually what we're going to be talking about this morning. And so I'm just thankful that we've already started there through uh, worship and singing and just setting our minds. What we just sang about is what we're praying becomes true, that He would be all to us, that His glory being put on display would be the priority of our lives. Uh, Dr. John Piper says it this way, that God is most glorified in you and you are most satisfied in Him. Your joy and God's glory aren't in competition. They're, they're the same thing. And this morning, that's what we want to pursue. We talk about what it looks like for us to center our lives and even center our weeks around God's glory. And when we do that, it brings joy. And so if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. Um, we are walking kind of through this series in the month of August. We've stepped out of the book of Acts for a few weeks to talk about what does it look like for the gospel to be unleashed here at Tri-Cities Baptist Church, areas like family discipleship, community, uh, making known the love of God through sharing the gospel. And this week we're going to talk about the gathering, this time that we're in right now. And this is, this is a special thing that we get to talk about this morning. And I, I just want to say from the beginning, one, that I'm really excited about what we get to talk about because I think this is a unique grace in our lives uh, that we often miss. But I also want to say too that uh, this morning might step on your toes a little bit. Um, it's stepped on my toes being in this passage. And so I just want to encourage you to come to the text and really read it with me. And what is God saying to us? What does this mean for us? So before we do that, I just want to pray for you. And I'd ask that you just pray for me and pray for those around you as well. So let's just ask that God would show himself to us this morning. Lord, we love you. And we do pray that we would... Um, see you this morning, that every heart would adore you, um, that, that any roadblocks, stumbling blocks, sin in our lives that would keep us from seeing you, loving you, worshiping you rightly, that you would tear those things down in us. I pray that for my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would awaken our hearts to the beauty of what you've done and the beauty of this gathering that you allow us to participate in and that you created. I pray that through this you would grow our love for you and our love for others. I ask that there be nothing known in this place except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that you would increase and I would decrease. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're actually just going to look at two verses uh, this morning and kind of work our way through these both. And this might be familiar to you. Uh, this is coming from Peter's in response to Peter's message on Pentecost, this is kind of a, a description of what was happening in the life of the early church. It says, and they, who's they? They are all of the Christians, all the Jesus followers. So early on in chapter 2, Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit falls on the apostles and the believers who are there. They begin to speak in different languages, speak in tongues. Peter preaches a message and over 3,000 souls are added to the church in one day. They are baptized, and now the church is on the move. God is on the move through a, a people that he's called to himself. And so this is the day. It's not just the apostles or just Peter and James. It's all of the believers. 
And as we look at what they were doing, we want to see what God has called us to do. And they devoted. So this isn't casual commitment. This is investment. This is all that they are. They devoted themselves. So this is something they're doing together. This is not some of them were doing this. They were all doing this as one body. Themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Verse 43. And awe or fear came upon every soul. And every soul there is every soul within the church. Later it's going to spread to those outside the church, but within the context of this passage, the they themselves, it's speaking of the people of God, the assembly. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This morning we want to talk about the gathering, and this idea is that the gathering is where we wonder. The gathering is where we wonder. In verse 43, it says that awe came upon every soul. In the early church, they were filled with wonder, filled with awe, filled with fear at who God was and what he had done. And that same feeling that they felt, that same experience that they had, and they lived out of. This wasn't a momentary thing. It's what you and I, if you're in this room and you're a Christian, this is what we've been called to live in. A holy wonder, a holy fear, a holy awe for who God is. We are created to be creatures of awe. And yet, there's, for most of us, there's far too little awe in our lives. I don't know if you've ever been um, to a mountain. How many of you have ever been on a mountain before? You live in East Tennessee. So, you know, there are mountains and then there are mountains. East Tennessee has mountains. When you go out to Colorado or other places in the world, you get to see real mountains, right? Uh, and so the last few summers, we've gotten to take a student team out to Denver, Colorado. And we work hard all week long. Kind of the end of the week, we'll take a few hours and we'll take... Uh, them up to Mount Evans. Mount Evans is the highest paved road in North America, over 14,000 feet above sea level. So when you start in Denver, Colorado, it's 95 degrees. When you get up to the top of the mountain two and a half hours later, uh, it's like 35 degrees. It's just crazy. And you start to walk around and you realize there's not much oxygen up here, you know. Um, And it's cold and nothing lives up there except really ugly goats and some random kind of beaver looking things that aren't really they're marmots or whatever those things are called so that's all that lives up there but when you go up on a mountain like that and you begin to look out you can't help but be filled with a sense of awe this city Denver that has almost five million people is just a small blip that you can barely see off in the distance see for hundreds and hundreds of miles and not just a sense of awe but When you're standing up there, looking down, thinking, if I fall, it's going to take a long time for me to actually die. And I'm going to get a really close view all the way down. There's a sense of fear, right? We were made to experience a fear and awe and wonder at who God is. But because of sin, we don't. We've lost the sense of of awe and wonder. I think G.K. Chesterton captures it really well in this quote I want to read to you. And if you're a parent, you can appreciate this. He says this, Because children have abounding vitality, 
because they are in spirit fierce and free. I don't know if you've ever described your kids that way. It's a pretty good way, fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. And they keep saying, do it again, do it again, do it again. So you just can't do it again anymore, right? Why? For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. We get tired. <clears throat> but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never grown tired of making them. I want you to think about this last statement, because I think this captures it for us. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. He's not talking about literally younger, right? But his ability to worship and exult in himself is younger than we are. Why? Because our hearts grow callous, they grow cold, they grow hard to the things of God. We become self-absorbed and we become self-focused and we build our lives around all these things if we're not careful that really don't have any eternal significance at all. And so over time, the things of God that were once wonders us to us become old news instead of good news. But I'm here to tell you this morning, the gospel is not old news, it is good news. It is good news. It's good news for every single person that is in this room this morning. And God, in his infinite goodness to us and in his grace, has given us a means to experience wonder and awe, to experience his goodness on display, to experience his grace, to be reminded of the gospel, to see his beauty, to see our need for him and to delight in him. And that means is the gathering. It's this. The people of God coming together on the first day of the week to celebrate our Savior. So the gathering is where we wonder. Worship is not just about an event on a Sunday morning. Worship is supposed to be all of life. But worship is also unique. One of the unique things that we have been given is the gathering on Sunday morning. It is a special time, a time for God's people to come together, to fix their eyes together on their Savior. And when that happens, when that happens, our hearts are captured with wonder and awe. The gathering is meant to produce a righteous and holy fear of God in our lives so that we can rightly worship Him in all of life. This time is meant to produce a fear and a wonder and an awe and a love for God that then overflows into the workplace, that overflows into your home, that overflows into your parenting, that overflows into your campus and into your dorm room, wherever you live. The worship of this time and of God is supposed to move in your life and overflow into every other part of your life. And every other part of your life sets you up to come back here again on Sunday and to worship God with the people of God. And it is a beautiful and glorious gift of grace that God has given to you and given to me. And so I want to do in the time that we have this morning is answer three questions. Why do we gather? Why do we do this? Why do we come together? 
what do we do when we gather? Is it just kind of arbitrary? Does each church kind of do whatever they want? Do we just kind of move things around every day? What do we do? And then how do we, as the people of God, respond to this? And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're not a Jesus follower, you're not a member of a church, and you're trying to figure these things out, I just want to say from the beginning, this, this message is more primarily toward people who are the people of faith. So I just want to encourage you to sit back and just listen. Take it all in. You don't have to do the things we're asking you to do. That's a good place to be, right? You can just take it all in, ask questions. And our hope is that through this that you see Jesus So before we answer the question of why do we gather, maybe the better question should be, why do we not experience the awe and wonder and beauty of God? Because many of us would probably say that we come to the gathering regularly. Maybe you're here every single Sunday, and you come in, and you're here, and you leave, and you walk out those doors, maybe very similar to the way you walked in, unaffected. Why does that happen to us? Why does church just become a routine, a duty, instead of a delight? Here's the reason why, I think, and I think Scripture and the Scriptures we're looking at this morning testify to this. The reason the gathering for us often becomes duty instead of delight is because we come to the gathering out of the wrong motivations. We come to get our spiritual fix. We come just to be encouraged. We come to see our friends. We come to find community. We come because we want our kids to turn out better than we did. And all those things in and of themselves aren't wrong. But there is a greater reason to come to the gathering. And this, this is the reason. We see it in verse 42. If you look at your Bible again. It says, And they devoted themselves. Why were they devoted to the gathering? Why did they do these things? Why was there a deep devotion? Because they were devoted to Jesus Christ. And the gathering exists to magnify Jesus Christ. Why do we gather? We gather out of devotion to our God and King. He is worthy of the unified worship of His blood-bought bride. Amen? We gather because He's worthy. We gather because he's our savior. We gather because he has rescued us. We gather out of love and affection for our king. He is worthy. So the reason we come is to give him glory. Yes, we receive. Yes, we're encouraged. Yes, it's good for the soul. Yes, it's encouraging to the body. And those things are good. But ultimately, the reason why we should choose to come into this room is to magnify the worth of King Jesus. That's the reason why we come. And when we come out of that reason and for that reason to worship Him and to adore Him and to confess our sin and to rest from our striving and to put Him on display, that's what creates a wonder and awe in us. We don't come to get wonder and awe, we come to give worship to God, right worship to Him, because He is worthy of our worship. The gathering is about seeing and savoring Jesus Christ. And it is a good gift to us. We come because we are devoted to Him. And I think the converse is also true. The reason why for many of us this time on Sunday morning is not something that we are devoted to. It's because our hearts have grown cold and we're really not ultimately devoted to Christ. 
I think that happens in us. Let me put it a different way. If you're here in this room and you're a UT Vol fan, um, which I know many of you are, I'm not, but many of you are, and I'm okay with that. Um, God still loves you anyways, just where you are, sinner, depraved, all that stuff. He still loves you, sees his grace on you. You know, college football is about to start. If you are an avid football fan, and you are a Tennessee Vol fan, whatever fan you are, and you have someone come up to you, and they say, I am such a massive Vol fan. I'm a UT fan. I bleed orange. Like, that is me. And you ask, okay, that's awesome. Um, And then they begin to tell you, but, you know, I, I never go to the games. In fact, I've never actually watched a Tennessee football game. I think I have a shirt somewhere. Um... You know, what, what's our team name again? What's our mascot again? You're probably thinking to yourself, I don't think you're a massive Vol fan, right? That, that's not what it means to be a devoted football fan. But I think a lot of us are like that in our spiritual walk. We'd say we love Jesus, we're devoted to Jesus, and yet we're not devoted to the things that are all about Jesus. This gathering on Sunday morning is about magnifying Him. It's about magnifying His worth. And often we get caught up and we get settled into so much less things. So we will go to the mountains, like I talked about in Colorado, and we'll be in wonder and awe at the mountains, but if we're not careful, we won't be in wonder and awe at the God who made the mountains. We will stop our work day, stop our school day. We will drive for hours to see a solar eclipse and not worship the God who created the solar eclipse. And I'm not knocking the solar eclipse. It's it's an amazing, beautiful thing that's meant to point our attention to God. But this is what happens. We begin to set our minds around good things and we miss the God who made it all. And so the gathering on Sunday morning is not about coming to get something as much as it is coming to give. It's coming to see. It's coming to behold. It's coming to point the people to your right and your left, sitting behind you, in front of you, to see the beauty of God. It's a a burden to see and know Him. This is why we gather. There are so many reasons throughout Scripture of why we gather. And if you download the notes, I've put many in there. We don't have the sake of time to go through them all, but but we gather because He is worthy. We gather to obey. God's Word commands us as the people of God to gather. There are chapters of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 14 is a whole chapter that talks specifically just about the gathering of God's people. It's an expectation that this is what we would want to do. It's what we get to do, not something we have to do. It is It is unique. In Hebrews 10, 25, it says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but drawing near, looking forward as the day of the Lord's return draws near. We are to be a people who are devoted to this gathering. In Acts 20, Paul talks about going to a church on the first day of the week, and he gathers to worship with them. It was the normal rhythm. It was just what they did. When you're a part of God's people, you want to be with God's people and see God. So we gather out of obedience. We gather to stop striving. We gather to stop striving. This is the whole idea of Sabbath. That God created the Sabbath before sin ever entered into the world. Why? To stop and rest in the God of our creation. 
The Sabbath is designed to stop doing and to rest in the God who's already done everything that we need. To stop striving. And ultimately a Sabbath rest that's coming for God's people that all of our life and all of our busyness doesn't matter. It's about resting in the one who did the work for us. So we gather. We gather to stop striving. We gather to recognize and verbalize our need. We, we confess our sin. We repent. Part of the reason why we are to gather together is to confess our sin to one another. Repentance is not just for the person in this room who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Repentance in this room is for us. That every time we gather under God's word, every time we are exposed to seeing our hearts for what they really are, there should be repentance. So we gather to repent. We gather to turn our hearts back to God. We gather to gaze. We gather to see his beauty on display and worship him for who he is. We gather to sacrificially give. And the ultimate sacrifice was paid. Old Testament, they would gather and they would sacrifice animals to atone for sin. We don't gather to sacrifice animals because the debt for sin has been paid. Amen? And so we come with our lives and we pour out our lives as a living sacrifice for the glory of God. But we also gather as a unified people. God's not just redeeming individuals and rescuing them. God is rescuing a people. And Sunday morning is about that people coming together as one under the head, Jesus Christ, for worship. Think about this. What we get to experience this morning every single Sunday is a small taste of what we will experience for eternity. Because when we get to the other side, when that day comes, we will gather as a people Not once a week, but always. Seeing holy, holy, holy. He's worthy. And so the Sunday morning gathering is meant to be a small taste of heaven. So we come, different people, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different cultural settings, coming together under one king, by the blood of the one lamb, adopted sons and daughters. We get to experience that every single Sunday. You're not just standing next to a random person. You're standing next to a blood blot son or daughter of God. That's special. You can't get that in a podcast. You can't get that watching a video. It only comes when the people of God physically come together to worship. So why do we gather? Because He is worthy of our devotion. So what do we do? when we gather. I I think one of the reasons why we don't see wonder and awe when we come into the gathering, into this time, is because we come as spectators instead of participants. If not careful, we will come into a room like this and we will gather to listen to a man or a worship team. That's not what the gathering's about. It's about all of us coming to participate together in worship and adoring God with one another. Look at what it says. Again, verse 42. Look at your Bible. And they devoted themselves. They were all doing this. All of them participated in this to the apostles' teaching. What is that? It's the the corporate teaching of this book, the Word. And so one of the things that we do when we gather is we submit to the Word. 
We submit to the word. We put our lives under this book. We believe that this is the living, breathing word of God. It is accurate and true in everything that it says. And it's applicable to all of life. And we need to put our lives around this book. And so we gather on Sunday mornings to hear it read rightly. To hear it preached. We gather to sing the word. We're not just singing songs, we are singing the word of God. Our worship teams work so hard to look through songs and make sure we are singing rightly the word of truth. And we need to sing old hymns that are full of rich theology that have been sung for hundreds of years. We also need to sing new psalms. Five times in the book of songs we are commanded to sing a new song to the Lord. So whether you have an awesome voice, and if you do, I would encourage you to sing to the top of your lungs. If you're here this morning and singing is not your gifting, sing to the top of your lungs. Because it's not about performance, it's about participation. God is worthy of our worship. God is worthy of our praise. And so we gather around the word to sing the word, to preach the word, to read the word, and to submit our lives to this book. Another thing we do when we gather is we gather to worship together we gather to worship together it says they were devoted to the apostles teaching but then it says they were devoted to the fellowship that word fellowship is quantania it's it's not fellowship the kind of the way we think about fellowship we think about fellowship like after church we go get some kentucky fried chicken and hang out together and eat that that's not what this is talking about Quantania is participation. It's deeply unified. It's sacrificially generous. It's a bonding of souls to one another. Here's the picture. We were not created for independence. We were created to be interdependent as the people of God. So when we come into this room on Sunday mornings, we don't come in with just an individualistic mindset of me and God and me and God. We come in saying we and God. We have come to encourage one another. So if you're here and you're a Christian, you are gifted by God through the power of the Holy Spirit with unique gifts, not for you, but for everyone else in this room, to encourage them. And when you sing out loud, good or bad, you're singing praise and you're doing it passionately, it encourages the person to your right or to your left. I promise, even if you struggle with singing, it encourages them when they see your heart and your love for Jesus. We, we pray over one another. We are participants. We are united together. And it brings glory to God when we do that. And I think one of the biggest challenges for the church today in America and in the West is we are so focused on self. We are so self-absorbed that we don't think about the people around us. But God didn't just save us. He saved the people. This people. And he's brought you at this time, 2017, to the Tri-Cities area and in this church so that you could be a part of this people and see God on display through this people. So even practically, coming in this room on a Sunday morning and praying for the person who's going to be on your left, your right, you may not even know their name, the person in front of you, behind you, thinking about them, asking that God would move in them, you're trying to encourage them to speak truth in their life so that they may see God. What would change in this room if we came in saying, I am here solely for the glory of God and the good of everyone around me? It would change this room. Not just this room, it would change families, it would change our community, it would change this area because we would be here for the glory of God and the good of others. 
It's the gathering. It's a gift of grace because we're under the word. We are in fellowship and worship with one another. Thirdly, when we gather, we witness the gospel on display. We witness the gospel on display. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread here is the Lord's Supper. One of the unique things that we get to do as the people of God is we get to gather around the Lord's Supper and baptism. That When you see someone go into the water and come out, it's a picture that Jesus went into the tomb and has risen again. And it's beautiful. And not only that Jesus has done that, but that person who was dead in their cold sin, who could not see God, God has now raised them to life in Jesus Christ, and we celebrate that. And it stirs wonder and awe in my heart every time I see someone go in the water and come out. And it makes me say, God, why have you done that for me? And I'm so grateful. And when we get to gather around the Lord's table every month, and we see the bread, and it represents his body that was crushed for you and for me. His blood that was poured out for your redemption, for my redemption. We see the gospel, and it creates in us a wonder and awe at what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And so we devote ourselves to the word and the teaching of the word. We devote ourselves to the worship and corporate worship of one another. We devote ourselves to the gospel on display through baptism and the Lord's Supper. And lastly, we, when we gather, we wash one another in prayer. He says they devoted themselves to the prayers. And far often we, we come into this room not having prepared our heart. Or when we pray, we pray about what's going on in our lives. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pray about what's going on in your life. But I think it would change our prayers if we begin to pray more about what God is doing in others' lives as much as we pray about our lives. Pray for one another. Prayer is not about asking God for his stuff or trying to get things fixed. Prayer is about aligning our lives with the heart of God. And praying that others would align their lives with the heart of God. Here's what I want you to see this morning and grab hold of. What we are getting to experience right now is a gift of God's grace. And it's a small taste of heaven. And when we come in with our hearts ready and our minds set on the gospel, ready to participate for God's glory, it changes us. It changes one another. And it becomes a visible picture to a watching world of this God that we worship. This is amazing what we get to be a part of this morning. And we get to be a part of it in freedom. It's a beautiful gift that I want to encourage you to, as the early church did, devote your life to. Devote your week to. Devote your Saturday in preparation to because Jesus is worthy. And so here's what I want to do. I want to ask Pastor Daniel and Pastor Mike to come join me. And we want to have an elder conversation and begin to shift from the whys and the whats to the hows. I just want to encourage you. uh, We want to be able to get really practical this morning. How do we, as the people of God, respond to the gathering on Sunday morning. And so, thank you gentlemen for coming up to join me here. And as we get started as pastors and elders who love you deeply and dearly, just want to say again, we aren't talking about these things because 
we want something from you, we're trying to boost attendance on Sunday morning or all those things. We, we want something for you. This is a huge gift. So guys, I think one of the, the things I've been thinking about is how do we know whether or not we are truly devoted to the gathering? So when I get in my car, I have gauges. I have a little gauge that tells me when I'm close to empty, I'm close to full. And I've run out of gas before, so I'm really thankful for those gauges. So what are some gauges for us to help us see, like, is this a priority in my life? Um, so I'll take a stab at that. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's great to be with you this morning. And I, I was wrestling with this earlier, so I think it's important for us to keep in mind that the gathering that we've been talking about is a gift God gives us to grow our heart. We, we grow by being here. It, it does that for us uh, as we focus on who God is. But I think the gathering also can be an indicator of where our heart is. So in Psalm 122, David says it this way. David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So David is given a testimony. He's saying, so we're on this pilgrimage. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going to this place of worship. And by the way, we don't have places of worship. This is a place of worship because the people of God are here and God lives in us. So, but you get the point. David was glad when he had the opportunity to go to a place of worship with God's people and of his great God. So for us, sometimes I think we can look at the gathering and how we view the gathering can tell us a lot about simply where we are in our relationship with Jesus currently. You know, I was trying to think of an illustration maybe to help us with this. Imagine if somebody said, okay, Mike, if you really want to get healthy, you need to start running and you need to start doing exercise and all this thing. And I said, okay, I know what I'm going to do. To get healthy, I'm going to go run a 5K race. Here I go. I'll go run this 5K race. I hadn't exercised. I hadn't gotten up off the couch. I hadn't done anything but eating junk food. And I go to that race. I'm not glad at that point, anybody, I'm not glad about that race because I've done nothing to prepare for it. It's an indicator of my health at that point. So if we walk in here on Sunday and we kind of walk out unchanged, like what you said, and the singing of truth, like what we, what we do, means nothing to us. And we can just kind of stand there and uh, think about other things. When we're singing the gospel of who God is, and the, the word is preached, and we are three of your teaching pastors, and, man, we pour our heart out. We know we're not the greatest preachers in the world, but, listen, we have a great message to preach. It might be if all those things happen and we leave unchanged, it might be more of an indicator of where our heart is. So it's really unrealistic and unreasonable to think I can come into the gathering and I've not spent any time with God through the week and I'm going to get fixed, if you will, in the gathering. Or I've not been before the Lord in any moments of private worship or I've not even been with God's people at all through the week. And we think somehow, and I think this is real common in the South, if I could say this really quick, when we think about our walk with the Lord, we think the weekend event and that's it. That's unhealthy. We're following Jesus and pursuing all of these things that are about health. And if all of those things, we're pursuing some of those. If the word of God is a part of our lives, if gathering with God's people through the week is a part of our life, private prayer life and devotion life, and man, we are worshiping through the week. When we come in here to worship together on Sunday, it's totally different for us. We can say with David, I think, I'm glad that I get to come and worship with God's people. And I'll say one more thing about that. I think the early church, 
when it said they devoted themselves to the gathering, if you will, they were living on the fringe of making Jesus known and it wasn't popular. And they knew they were strangers and aliens in their culture. And they knew they were kind of outsiders because they were living on mission. I think the more we live on mission and the more we in our places of life strive to make Jesus known, we can't wait to come and be with God's people. We can't wait for that. So I think all those things work together. Uh, you know, you, you talked about a, a measurement to kind of to, to, to just gauge where we're at in, in our worship. And, I, you know, I, look, if you're like me, like, I, you remember those, I'm going to really date myself. You remember those old little, like, electric football tables you plug it in and the little guys would just, like, jar around all over the place? You remember that? Some of you are just staring at me. Really? Come on. YouTube it. You'll figure it out later. So I feel like sometimes that's how I go through life. My mind is going so fast. I just, I, everything's just random and I'm just so busy. And whether that's in thought or whether that's because you're just an incredible doer and you're thinking of the next task to get done or even if that's just emotion and you're just chasing your emotions of what you feel, we're so busy in our mind. I would take you all the way back to the beginning when God first created man and woman. He creates all these wonderful things. And do you know what he does on the seventh day? He's Sabbath, right? He rested. It's the most pure form of worship we have. And so one of the things I think we, we've got to be able to do and measure our worship is, is do we Sabbath? As we come, I, I mean, when you hear these things, there are a lot of practical little things, and we got to pursue that and put that effort in. But if you hear it, it's just this list of all this stuff that you got to get done, it just adds to your busyness of mind. What we got to do as a church is commit ourselves to Sabbathing, to resting. When we come here, we've got to clear our minds of everything else but the Lord. And we got to work for that. One of the things that we do really poorly probably as uh, just as a generation is we've lost the art of meditating. Meditating is a spiritual discipline that is commanded throughout Scripture that we would stop and in silence of thought we would devote ourselves to the contemplation of who God is and his sovereign rule over this world and what that looks like and how that plays out, that we would meditate on his word. And so I think one of the metrics for how you're worshiping and if you're coming at that is, is this a time of rest for you? Is there a, um, a Sabbath reverent joy in you to come here, like coming back to that safe place of family and being able just to Get caught up in the moment. Just a real practical example. The other night, I don't remember what she was doing, but Amy was sitting here, and I, I don't know why, I just started looking at my wife, and I noticed, man, she is hot. And now no, the truth is, I, I was thinking, she is just amazing. I am so blessed that I've got to spend 20 years of my life with her. And I, I just, in the moment, Everything just faded away, and I just was in awe of her. That ought to be us when we gather. And I think that metric and striving for that, that's a good gauge. How do we Sabbath as we come to worship? That's good. Thinking about how we, how we get into that mindset of resting, our hearts being ready. Let's, 
what are some practical things just as our family's thinking about, okay, Sunday's coming in next week. How, how do they, we begin to prepare our hearts for the gathering? Yeah, so let me, I, I can't, let me go back to this. I think, I don't want you to miss what Daniel just said. Remember, Jesus said, God has given, the, the Sabbath is a gift to us. It's a gift. So if you're hearing all this about the Lord's Day and our gathering together, and it, it feels like more of a burden on you, then what you're saying is your heart is so distracted, I cannot pause to take advantage of this space that God has given me as a gift to push away some of these other distractions. And I'm coming back to your point, not just to have an empty space, but to fill it with something infinitely better. Yeah. Infinitely. That's the point of the cycle and the rhythm of life that God has given us from creation. In the South, sometimes we think of Sabbath, and I'm going to be cynical here. The Sabbath means, well, can I mow my grass or not? Really? God has given us one day out of seven to say, would you just stop and remember I'm God and you're not? Yes, That's, good. That's what it is. I'm God and you're not. So in preparation to that, what are those things that are so pulling at me that I can't even stop and pause? Is it, is it my schedule is just so crazy? Is it, I'll give a practical example. You maybe made reference to this. Is it social media has so captivated our minds, we cannot stop our minds from wondering what's going on on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it may be. And all my kids are in the room are going, Dad, you talk about that all the time. Come on. Listen, you, you mentioned it earlier. The, the research is so clear that our addiction to social media keeps us from knowing joy. And our mind is so filled constantly. Here's some practical things. How about, how about getting ready for... This, what God has given us on Saturday night. And if, and if you knew, here are your teaching pastors. You knew I was teaching on Sunday and you knew I was up until 1230 on Saturday night watching Netflix or whatever, nothing against Netflix. Or you knew I was out late and you knew I on Sunday morning got up and spent an hour and a half on Facebook and wondering what everybody in the world's doing. You'd be saying, wait a minute, shouldn't you be getting ready for worship? And I would come back to you and say, same for you. Not as a yoke, but can you take the gift God has given us of space, of pausing and coming in here and pushing those things aside, ready to receive the word and ready to be encouraged by one another and ready to behold the greatness of our God. I hope we can leave here every Sunday, every Sunday being reminded, you know what? He's God and I'm not. That's a good thing. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing. That's good. So you may have... Just some real practical things. Like you said, I, I, as much as you can, just try to take Sunday morning, unplug your phone. I mean, really. I mean, I know some of us can't. And I know if you're in here like, and you're like 90, you're like, amen. But you don't understand how hard it is for the rest of us. <laughs> like, let, let's just be honest, okay? Uh, some of us, like, that, like, we don't know. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, another thing is, is as we show up, show up prepared. Listen. You know, have a time when you drive in the car to church and just have, have a no-word zone. You're not going to talk. You're not going to be on your phone. You just pray, think, engage the family. Is it going to work every week? No. Anyone who's like, I have a three-year-old, that will never happen. Just try, <laughs> pursue, right? Um, you, get, you guys, especially the 930 crowd, they mess with me. 
My memory's bad. Every week, I think it's like, you know, when the time changes and I'm like an hour early because no one's ever here at 930. I mean, we start our 930 service and seriously, half of the people come in around 945 or 10. That's a simple thing. Get here on time. Be here. Have your mind clear so that the moment the first song begins, you're already in worship. That's not a burden. That's just what you want to do. If, again, a kind of comparison, if it were an event that you wanted to be at, you would figure out a way to get your kids there to make all those things happen because you'd want to be there. I think if we begin that on Saturday, if we begin throughout the week of longing for that Sabbath, then this time feels much different for us. And so I, I think those are just some practical little things that can just kind of help us uh, as we get from Saturday night into the Sabbath and specifically into the gathering. That's good. That's so good. And I, I'd add a couple too. I, I think coming with anticipation and expectation uh, that we are expecting to see God. We're expecting to see lives change, our lives change. You know, praying that that would happen. You know, Jesus said, we have not because we ask not. And I think a lot of times we come into this room, it's more reactive than pursuit. Another, I would just say, if you're a parent in this room, um, of elementary age, a teenager, middle schooler, <clears throat> come ready for your family to come with you into the gathering. Bring them in this room with you. They need to see their parents worship Jesus. They need to see your hands lifted, singing at the top of your lungs. They need to see you take the Lord's Supper and know why they cannot. They need to experience baptism, and you get to go home and tell them why those people are getting wet at church. And I know it's distracting. I know it's hard. We have four children, six years old and under. But if you have to choose between um, putting them in a kids' or students' ministry group, and I'm the family pastor over the next-gen ministries, or being in the gathering, bring them to the gathering. It is a gift of grace in their life to see you worship and participate in worship with you. And they need it. They may not want it, um, but you know, you make your children go to school even though they don't want to go to school. Why? Because they need to. How much more important are the spiritual things? Like, I'm not talking about just mindless forcing children and not lovingly helping them see. That, that's not what I'm saying. But one of the things I think that we've created is a disservice and to our children in the American culture is we've filled them all full of busy church stuff and they don't actually get to be part of this. And historically, it's not been the case. Well, there's a lot to think about. Can we just say thank you to Pastor Daniel and Pastor Mike for joining us this morning, leading? I want to invite the worship team to come up. <clears throat> and I just want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're just going to respond in a time of singing. How do we respond to the gathering? Here's two ways I'd encourage you just to, to pray about in the stillness of this moment. And then we're going to have some space just to respond through the singing of the word. The first one is this, to even ask the question, ask God, the Holy Spirit, am I devoted to the gathering of your people? Maybe even a better question is to ask, Lord, am I devoted to you? Am I wholly devoted, singly-minded focus? And I'll just be honest, as one of your pastors, that's often not the case. I am, as we were just talking about, distracted. I'm divided. And even in the stillness of this moment, this is an opportunity to recognize what is dividing you, what is distracting you. 
to repent and confess that to God, to ask for forgiveness, ask for help. Ask that you would be devoted to what God has called us to, just like the early church was. Another thing to ask is that God would awaken the wonder again. Awaken the wonder again in my soul, O Lord. Open my eyes to see the beauty and the grace of what you've done. And I think the way that starts is with the gospel. We begin to remember what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. It awakens our hearts to wonder and worship and awe and fear. And just like the early church said, every soul was filled with awe. That word literally means fear. It's phobos. That God would create in us a holy fear at his beauty and grace that, that draws us in. So Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters that this morning that you would create in us undivided hearts. Hearts that are wholly devoted, that prioritize you over everything else in our lives so that we may know you, so that our brothers and sisters might know you and see you, so that our family members, our children might know and see you in the way they see you most clearly is through your people. And we thank you that one day we will gather with all the saints across all the generations who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We will worship with full heart, fully devoted. May we rest in you today as we wait for that day. In your name we pray. Amen.